welcome to the Provident Podcast. Provident Expresso is dedicated to providing investment insights to clients on the go. Through these podcasts, clients are brought up to date as our team of investment specialists share the outlook of the market, offer perspective of events and trends affecting the economy, the financial markets, and our investment management. Today, we have Mr. Daryl Liu, Chief Investment Strategist of Provident, to speak to us. Good day and welcome to the inaugural Provident Podcast. Uh, in the very first edition, uh, we have actually three items on the agenda. Firstly, to discuss, I think, the thing that's been hogging the headlines uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, this issue about the swine flu. Uh, secondly, we all know that the markets have been rallying over the past uh, couple of months. Uh, big question mark there, obviously, is this uh, this market rally for real? Is it sustainable? Or is it just a bear market rally and it's poised to correct moving forward? And finally, what I'll be doing, I'll be uh, updating everybody about how we're positioning the portfolios uh, for, for the immediate future. Now, first first issue on the swine flu. Um, I think we all realize and we've been keeping up to date with what's been happening. Um, this this particular new virus originated from Mexico. Um, it's it spread really quickly. Um, and over 20 countries now, according to the WHO, that's the World Health Organization, have uh, officially announced that they have uh, patients who have been affected by the virus. I think there have been over a thousand cases over the past week or so. Uh, even Singapore's uh, Ministry of Health has recently issued a code orange, um, and even here at Provident, we have, t- we have started taking certain precautions. Uh, so don't, don't be surprised for visitors to office that uh, Wendy, our administrator, might, uh, might ask to take your temperature. Because these are some of the precautions that we do have to, to take to ensure that the virus doesn't spread. Um, but more, more importantly, let's look at the possible re- uh, implications uh, of this particular swine flu virus. Uh, on the broader economy and as well as on the financial markets. Now, if you look at, at previous cases of pandemics, I think the, the big question mark there, obviously, is how severe is uh, this pandemic to begin with? Because if it's a relatively mild pandemic, which is which will last, let's say, for, for short term, just a couple of weeks, and then it will blow over, uh, ultimately, it won't really impact uh, the broader economy that much and whatever impact it has on the financial markets uh, after a while will kind kind of blow away as well um, but if it's a more severe type of uh, pandemic situation that has a long longer lasting impact uh, then that could severely de- uh, derail uh, the broader economy um, there are a couple of cases in point that we can actually use as a guide through history um, the, the most recent one at least in our memory is the SARS case in 2003 that on hindsight was actually a relatively mild one um, in the sense that uh, the only the regional economy in, in Asia was affected uh, to the tune of about two percent in the second quarter of two thousand and three, um, but once the once the SARS pandemic uh, blew over, uh, all the companies uh, went back towards uh, proceeding with their investment activities. People went about their lives, and what we saw was that actually the Q three numbers in two thousand and three. Uh, rebounded very strongly. Uh, that actually compensated for the losses in the second quarter. So on the overall in, overall basis, uh, the group, the, the the broader economy wasn't really impacted that much from the SARS crisis. Um, on the flip side, the nineteen eighteen Spanish flu virus uh, was very very severe. Uh, that particular virus actually killed about forty to fifty million people worldwide, uh, and that was a uh, more serious case, obviously, which affected the global economy to the tune of about 5% in terms of uh, GDP numbers. Um, so the, the big question mark here, obviously, is, you know, is the current swine flu virus something 
similar to the SARS virus, which will be temporary, short-term, uh, blow over quickly, or whether it will be something more lethal like the Spanish flu. I guess the good news is that based on initial reports, it does appear that um, this particular swine flu virus appears to be able to be treatable. Uh, because if you look at the, 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 the cases of fatalities, uh, the majority of the fatalities actually have come out from Mexico. Um, could be due to a number of reasons. Perhaps uh, these, these uh, victims weren't treated early enough. You know, there's only been one case, um, one, one fatality that's happened outside of Mexico. Um, and also, on the basis of the fatalities as a proportion of the global victims as well, the number of uh, the incidence level is actually quite low. Um, let me give you an example on this. Actually, the SARS case, while it was uh, relatively short, um, it, the, the fatality rate was actually quite high, in the sense that about 8 to 10% of the victims actually died from the virus. Whereas if you look at the swine flu virus, uh, the overall fatality rate is about 2%. Um, so on, on, on that note, it does appear to be a lot less lethal than the SARS virus. But on, on the flip side as well, this particular swine flu virus is spreading a lot quicker than the SARS virus, which is why precautions do have to be taken. Um, in this sense, I think the World Health Organization has been really on top of the situation. Uh, they've been issuing regular alerts, uh, keeping people up to date with what needs to be done. Um, and so far, at the time of this recording, they have uh, avoided going to the to, to scale six. Uh, that's that's the top end of the pandemic alert scale. Um, they they've raised the alert to five. Um, basically, where basically indicating that the pandemic is imminent, but not not officially classifying as a pandemic yet. So I think it does appear quite encouraging, at least at this point in time, uh, that this particular swine flu virus will kind of dissipate uh, over the next couple of months. Obviously, certain countries, um, certain industries will be affected a bit more than others. Uh, for example, the southern hemisphere countries, uh, because they're entering into the winter season, the incidence of getting flu is a lot greater in those countries as opposed to, let's say, the northern hemisphere countries, which are entering the summer season. And generally speaking, with when you have warmer weather, the incidence of flu is a bit lower. Um, so those countries, uh, the southern hemisphere countries like Australia, New Zealand, are probably a bit more prone. Also, certain industries will be affected a bit more. The airline companies, for example, as people put off travel plans for the time being, um, your F&B outlets, people might decide to you know, stay away from restaurants, maybe Mexican restaurants, um, for the time being as well. So all this will have a temporary impact, but I think as long as, uh, as, long as this thing is kept under control, and I think governments all across the world are, are, become, are taking all the necessary precautions, uh, making sure that the hygiene factors are, are taken care of, people wash their hands, people cover their noses, people who, people who are feeling a bit ill stay at home, so I think that will that will actually greatly help uh, reduce the incidence of flu uh, in the coming months, and I'm quite sure that this thing will blow over. So bottom line, just to conclude on this first issue, uh, we do think that the swine flu um, isn't really a big issue at this point in time. There are a lot of bigger things to worry about in the global economy, and I mean, from on a financial uh, standpoint or financial market standpoint, the swine flu virus probably will affect the Mexican equities a bit more than, than other other markets. But having said that, one when the news of the swine flu first emerged, uh, while the Mexican equity market did fall a bit, um, do note that it's actually rallied quite a bit over the past few days as well. So the, the investing public do recognize the fact that this is likely to be you know, a, probably a short-term effect, 
and I think the Mexican government as well is taking all the necessary precautions there. So it does appear that you know whatever impact this will have on financial markets is likely to be a short-term impact as well. You know, so we're not too worried about uh, our exposures in Latin America, for instance, because this is ultimately a long-term uh, investment. Uh, and we're still comfortable with our position there. So that's on the swine. Okay, moving on now to the second issue, uh, which is basically to talk about the recent market rally. Uh, the big question mark, I think, in many people's minds is whether this is a sustainable rally or whether this uh, is nothing more than just a bear market rally and that we retrace back the lows again of March. Now, just, just to recap, uh, equity markets have uh, really, really rallied extremely strongly over the past couple of months since the lows of 9th of, 9th of March. The US equities are up over 30% since those lows. Um, and if you go back and look at the at some of the factors which have driven this rally, I think initially a lot of this uh, was due to uh, short covering people who believe also that the markets uh, also were, have reached such a low point that they, they were willing to just jump into the market. Um, and basically, people who are looking at the, the data coming out being a bit more positive than, than what they envisaged. Now, the, the latest buzzword in make, making its rounds around uh, the financial markets is this, this term called green shoots. Uh, it was actually first raised by Ben Bernanke a couple of months ago in March uh, when he was actually analyzing all the economic data that was coming out. Um, and people are, are now looking at, uh, at all these green shoots as being a positive sign that maybe the worst is over. You know, that uh, after the arguably the second worst uh, uh, recession that we have seen since the Great Depression, they're starting to see that there are some signs that things are starting to improve again. Now, let me just go through all the, the different indicators that have been mentioned, um, because we have been scratching our heads and wondering the same thing as well, whether these are signs that things are improving. And finally, to give an answer after that uh, about whether we think that this is a sustainable rally or whether these green shoots are just a bit pre too pre premature to actually uh, blossom. Now, one of the, the first things which have uh, actually grabbed people's attention is the fact that consumption, surprisingly, in the US has actually increased by about 2.2% in the first quarter of last year. Now, this, this particular piece of data was actually uh, found within the US GDP numbers for Q1, uh, where the US economy actually shrank by 6.1%, uh, which was worse than expected. But surprisingly, people looked beyond the headline number to analyze the details within, within the figures. And what they found was that hey, actually consumption was, was improving. And some, some more positive uh, optimists out there are saying that, well, the US consumers are starting to spend again. Um, I think we've got to analyze this and ask ourselves whether consumption in the US is really starting to recover or whether this is just nothing more than a temporary blip uh, and something that we, we can just write off. Uh, I think what, when we look back, and uh, try to understand the reason for this pickup in consumption, I think we can, we can attribute it to a couple of factors. First of all, the fiscal stimulus packages uh, launched by all the governments around the world is starting to have an effect. Um, these tax savings given out, um, the fact that US consumers are also now able to refinance their property um, to enable them to get some savings on a monthly basis. Uh, also, fuel costs have come down tremendously over the past couple of months, which means to say that that actually frees up some cash as well uh, for the consumer's uh, point of view. In addition, one thing that we, we have seen all over the world, not just in the States, is that retailers have been heavily discounting all their goods. 
um, basically trying to pay inventories. So because of all these effects, the fact that the consumers are feeling a bit richer because of the cutback in costs, um, and also because we're comparing uh, this on a quarter-to-quarter basis, and uh, the last quarter last year, we saw a huge drop in, in consumer spending. Um, I think that that's probably one of the reasons why the Q1 numbers came in better than uh, a lot of people expected. The fact that consumers, because of the great deals they were seeing out there, because of the savings that they were uh, already incurring, uh, they did feel a bit more, a bit richer, and they went out and spent a bit more money compared to the previous quarter. Now, the big question here, obviously, is is this pickup in consumption uh, an indication that things are better? You know? And I think this is where we have to we have to disagree with the optimists out there. Because one of the key indicators that we are watching is the fact that it's, it's unemployment rate. You know, and the unemployment rate in the US uh, last month came in at 8.6%. Uh, actually, this week, the, the latest numbers for April will be coming out. We do expect that the unemployment rate in the US will likely cross 9%, uh, with probably another uh, half, half a million jobs lost. And with this as a background, with more and more US citizens losing their jobs, it does appear to us at least that consumption is likely to uh, still remain muted moving forward. So basically what we think is that the recent pickup in consumer spending or consumption is likely to likely just a, a blip effect, you know, a short-term temporary effect, mainly because people are starting to feel a bit more confident, a bit a bit uh, more willing to spend money based on their savings. But ultimately when they see that headline numbers are still negative in the sense that your unemployment rate is still going up, uh, housing prices are still going down, companies are still retrenching. Uh, I think people will be a lot more cautious moving forward about whether they want to spend or not. Um, and we do think that consumption will remain uh, sluggish moving forward as well. Particularly as uh, when we look at the at, at some of the regulations being uh, proposed to Congress, uh, the US government is actually in, in the midst of making some changes to the credit card re- uh, regulations. And this is possibly... Uh, possibly could cause credit card companies to make credit more expensive and less accessible to consumers moving forward as well. And that will obviously have an impact on consumption moving forward. But this is something that we are monitoring quite closely and we'll provide further updates down the road once uh, it becomes clearer about the impact of this. So that's that's our take on the consumption um, story. Uh, We don't think the consumption is really coming back into the system yet. We still think that people will be a lot more conservative moving forward. Particularly as we see, uh, savings rate in the US is still pretty high at over 4%. So the American consumers are still being careful with their money. Now the second, the second uh, point which has been raised by the optimists as well is the fact that you know, housing data is starting to, to turn around a bit in the sense that housing prices aren't falling as fast as they have before. Uh, the latest case shilling numbers coming out uh, for February indicated that uh, prices have fallen uh, by slightly over 18% on a year-on-year basis. And that is marginally less than the 19% fall that came out in January. So people again are saying that, oh, um, the fact that prices are falling slower than before is a positive sign that possibly we might be reaching the bottom quite soon in terms of uh, housing prices. Um, we still think that this is still maybe a bit early um, in trying to, to pinpoint a bottom in the housing market in the US. Uh, we still think that it's possible pos- possible for us to still see another 10 to 20% fall in housing prices moving forward, which probably means that we won't see the bottom at the end of the year, likely or early next year. Um, but we have been looking at the market with, and, 
and trying to understand the rationale for this, um, I think one of the one of the possible reasons why prices could be falling less than before is that a lot of the big hands, meaning to say that people who couldn't afford to maintain their houses as already have already exited the market, meaning to say they've already forsold their, their homes. Um, and this is something that we are seeing in Singapore as well, because in our discussions with um, a number of uh, property uh, people who are, who are in the property market, they have informed us that actually some, some properties in Singapore are actually have actually started to turn around, you know, particularly in the, the prime district. And we're asking ourselves, how can that be? How can property prices be starting to, to increase? Um, and after a bit of further digging, we found that um, right now, amazingly, there are actually more buyers than sellers in certain locations. Meaning to say, people are afraid of losing out. Because uh, if you look at the, particularly in the high-end property market side, uh, prices are down like 30-40% from the highs uh, over a year ago. And a number of buyers are, are looking at that and saying that oh, now is probably a, a relatively good time compared to last year to come into the market and they're afraid if they miss out this time round, uh, they might lose out on an opportunity. But on the flip side, the sellers who have been holding on to these pieces of property uh, are not those who uh, have to sell. You know, these are these are mostly the, the high net worth people uh, who purchase second or third or fourth investment properties. And they're basically sitting on their properties and saying, I won't sell unless the prices are, are, are attractive from their perspective. And also because of that, because of the disconnect between the, the demand and supply for certain properties, we have started to see property prices start to inch up again. But again, this is on, predicated on, on the basis that we've seen a bottom in the economy. You know, if, if we've seen a bottom in the economy, then that probably would be something that would be able to support prices and Thereafter, we'll see a recovery in prices moving forward. However, as as uh, I'm probably probably can probably guess, that I'm alluding to this. We don't think that we are at the bottom in the economy yet, um, and that the fact that if the economy continues to weaken moving forward, a number of these strong hands who are holding on these properties might become weak hands moving forward. If, for example, they lose their jobs, if, for example, they suffer further losses, and there. Then, if they see prices continue to fall, then it's likely I think that you'll see further weakening in uh, prices moving forward. So, bottom line, we, we don't think that housing prices have reached a trough yet. Um, it's still likely, at least in in our view, that prices will fall a bit further, and that again will affect your consumer confidence because if they see that their housing prices uh, continue to fall, uh, it's not likely that they go out and spend money. So that's the second factor that we have been monitoring. Now the Third, the third aspect which has really got us very puzzled is the fact that manufacturing data has come in surprisingly positive over the past couple of months. Um, and this is coming out from a number of uh, Asian countries actually. Both China and Japan actually uh, announced a pickup in uh, their manufacturing data, um, which was quite surprising to us because there's, there shouldn't be any reason why manufacturing is picking up unless there is a, a demand for it. You know? Um, we've, we've seen a huge drop in exports and manufacturing data coming out from the Asian countries, mainly because your US consumption and European cons consumption has basically dried up over the past couple of quarters. And which is why we were very surprised that the March data coming out suggested that a number of factories have started to ramp up production again. Um, and this is something that we were looking into. Um, in fact, I was just talking to a couple of people in the semicon industry here in Singapore um, and asking them this very question, whether their orders have picked up over the past couple of months and whether and what was the source of this demand actually. 
and their reply to me was that you know they they can confirm that the next couple of months at least for the next two months the orders are there in fact they were surprised that the that these orders actually came back in uh, so they actually have to recall staff which they, they have uh, asked to go on long leave you know so they recall them just to come in and work the factories but they were as puzzled as us as to whether this demand was sustainable or not you know and that i think is the big question here there has been a pickup in in production in demand uh, for for the finished goods but the question here is what is the source and of this demand and whether is it sustainable i think we can trace a, a lot of this to actually the fiscal stimulus packages particularly coming out from china um if you look at look back over the last couple of months china has given um, their population a number of incentives uh, for example the far uh, understand that farmers in in china now can actually purchase a computer for uh, and the government will actually subsidize about 13 to 15 percent of the cost. Now, what that means is that if you are a farmer out there and if the government is going to be willing to pay a certain proportion uh, for you to purchase a computer, it's more likely than not that you will go out and purchase that computer. So, because of that, we are seeing a pickup in demand for a number of items. Um, the question mark, at least in our heads, is we don't think that this is a sustainable uh, pickup in consumption. It is a one-off pickup in consumption, mainly due to governments providing subsidies to try to keep their workers employed. You know, so we we do think we do see that and, and admit that there has been a pickup in production numbers. Um, but we do not think that this pickup in in production numbers is sustainable unless consumption is is there. And right now, as as I as I said earlier, we don't think that consumption is truly back into the system yet. So just to just to summarize again, um, we do think that at least on this second item on the market rally, we do think if you look at the broader global economy, we still see that there's a number of structural problems there, um, which still persist. First, that consumption will continue to struggle. We haven't seen yet a bottom, uh, or or a peak in the unemployment rate in the, in uh, the U.S. and globally. Uh, we do expect that these rates will probably cross the ten percent mark. Um, and because of that, more with more and more people unemployed, it's likely that they'll be spending less money. Um, secondly, we think that housing prices will continue to fall. Uh, we haven't seen yet a trough in housing prices, uh, housing market, and that also will likely mean that there's going to be a further negative sentiment effect coming up. Now, the third reason why we are quite negative on uh, the global economy is that we still still see and this is something I've been talking about quite a number of times uh, in, at our coffee at home events. Uh, the fact that the banking system is still distressed, uh, it's still, still facing a number of problems. And one of the key things that we are watching out for is the results of the stress test, which they were supposed to announce on the 4th of May, uh, but now they're delayed it to the 7th of May, and I'm not sure whether on the 7th of May, whether they'll truly uh, come out with the announcement. Um, but that is quite key, I think, to determine the health of the financial, uh, these 19 major financial institutions in the U.S., and I, I seriously suspect that a number of these uh, banks are in quite bad shape and will require further bailouts from the government. And I think that's the reason why the announcement has been delayed as well. Mainly because if you look at the at, at it, while the headline figure or the headline announcement seems to suggest that all 19 banks will pass the stress test, um, I think what the government, what this particular stress test uh, result was, will go on to say is that a number of these financial institutions will have to recapitalize so that they can go uh, continue as an ongoing concern. Now that is the big problem there, the, the issue of them having to recapitalize because in this kind of market, 
where are they going to get the funding to actually uh, to actually recapitalize their bank? Um, private investors are not likely to want to stump up the cash. Um, you witness all the sovereign wealth funds that came out with money for for the financial institutions late in two thousand and seven and early two thousand and eight. All of them have been burned. It's not likely that they are willing to come out with more cash this time around. So what what we see what we what we likely see is that these banks will go out and try to sell off assets. A number of them have already sold off a number of key assets, um, which in the short term will help them raise cash, but in the long term will actually affect their future viability because the assets that they're selling are actually the good quality assets because those are the only things that they can sell off for any decent amount of money. Um, but it's more likely than not, in my, in my view at least, um, that these banks will not be able to raise the amount of money that they require which would mean then that they have to go back to the government to ask for more money. Um, which is why I think the end result is that you will still see a quasi-nationalization of these banks. So I think that this is one aspect which has, hasn't really been priced in on the market, by the market. At least I think that the market is basically expecting that the stress test results are very positive, which is one of the reasons why the market has rallied so much over the past couple of months. Um, but once it becomes more apparent that actually these banks are in dire straits and require a lot more work to actually fix their problems, I think we'll see a, a further correction in the marketplace. So because of these three reasons, the fact that we think consumption uh, will continue to struggle at least until unemployment rate peaks, uh, housing prices will continue to fall, and the fact that the, the government still hasn't been able to solve the, the banking crisis, uh, we still feel that these structural problems will likely limit the, the, the recovery in the global economy, and that's one of the reasons why we think that this current rally they have seen since uh, March uh, is not really sustainable. Now again, if you go back through history and look at uh, how uh, during the Great Depression, for example, you know how how the markets actually fell by almost ninety percent since two thousand uh, nineteen twenty nine all the way until nineteen thirty three. Um, in that particular four year span, we actually had six different uh, bear market rallies in that span. Now, each of these bear market rallies actually averaged about 30% up. You know? But then again, once people realized that this was a false dawn, you know, all the green shoots that came out wasn't really real, uh, the markets sold off and actually reached new lows. Now, it's not to say that I think that we haven't, you retest the lows that we saw in March, you know? but I do think that on this basis, with the markets having rallied more than 30% over the past two months, I do believe that we are probably on a bit on, on the final legs of this particular rally because of our of our concern on the global economy, and it's more likely than not, you know, from our perspective, that we will see that uh, the equity markets will likely correct uh, in the next couple of months. So because of this, um, moving on to the third point on our positioning of portfolios, this is one of the reasons why we actually held back on our latest uh, tactical changes to the portfolios. Um, if you've been following our Coffee Break articles, we actually intended to uh, fully invest all the cash in the portfolios uh, last month in April. Um, but after looking at the run-up in the equity markets over the past couple of months, we were quite concerned that this was really a sign um, that the market was getting a bit over-exuberant. Uh, and because of our concern on the structural problems which still remain, we decided to actually hold off on the investment in cash until the market comes back down to a more sane level. Um, however, we do fully in, intend to invest the cash in the portfolios, particularly for the beta portfolios, uh, once the market comes down to levels which we believe are more attractive entry levels. Um, 
again, uh, I can't say exactly when that will happen. Um, but once once the markets have retraced a bit from their current levels, we do intend to fully uh, actually invest the cash. So basically, that's uh, all I have for this first edition. Um, thank you very much. And uh, if you have any questions, please, uh, we are here. Please send your emails or give your consultants a call. Um, I think in, in these difficult times, particularly with the swine flu virus, um, just wishing that everybody uh, stay healthy, um, avoid crowded places if you can, um, make sure you can make sure you wash your hands and take your temperature. Thank you very much.